I just looked out there and there's puddles of water all over the freaking stage. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I don't, I don't want to lie to you, boys. Uh, six days a week, the place is a hockey rink. Yeah, well, this is a rock concert, not the bleeding... Splish Splash Show. Welcome to episode 80 of Spinal Tap Minute, the podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and none more black eyes the movie This is Spinal Tap, one magnificent minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. And I'm Sean German from 5MinutesOfMime.com. And with us today is our special guest, author and rebel rouser, Sean Carlin. Welcome back, Sean. Thank you guys so much for having me back. I had a blast the last time, so I was uh, eager to do it again. Awesome. So glad you're here. Yeah, we we had a good time as well, and that's why we're we're eager to have you back here for, uh, we're in the midst of credits here at Minute 80, and Minute 80 starts with Nigel thinks his blood is green, like on his (laughs) t-shirt. We end with Marty asking David and Nigel if their music is racist. And in between, Marty interviews Ian about Eaton Hogg's knighting. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> well, just the name the, like the, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dennis Eaton Hogg. better be a knight to carry off a name like that. <laughs> so Dennis, yeah. So th- there's there's so many things just yeah. <laughs> just on those three bullet points. Just so starting off with sort of Nigel's confusion about how accurate his t-shirt is in portraying his insides. So the shirt shows bones. It's his his skeleton structure that's shown on the shirt, but then he's like pointing, you know, you look when you look at your veins, it looks blue. Does he think blue, you know, blue veins equals green bones? I mean, I guess when they told him the T-shirt was, you know, anatomically specific to his ribcage somewhere along the way, he got (laughs) really confused about just how specific they were talking about. Okay, you think they were just talking about, yeah, these are the size and shape of your bones, but not the color. Right. (laughs) Although, and one thing I was thinking previously is... It can't, unless the shirt shrunk, it can't be accurate because the shirt kind of fits on his body. Mm-hmm. It's And it's like, it's a sleeveless t-shirt. <laughs> Don't the shoulder bones like extend past right. where the shirt ends? Sean, it sounds <laughs> like you are feeling like it's being revealed to you. Oh my gosh, this isn't accurate, as accurate <laughs> as I thought it was. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And and. And I wonder, well, Nigel must have some hint, because when challenged by Marty, he gives it up, like, right away. Like, the 11 yeah. thing, he stuck to his guns. No, 11, it's one louder, right. no matter what Marty tried to convince him of. But this, he's like, eh, anyway, this is what I sleep in sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and the delivery of that line is just like, oh, just like a little child. Mm-hmm. He's so innocent. Just this is what I sleep in sometimes. <laughs> so that's my that's my that's my big personal reveal is I somehow out of seeing this billions and trillions of times never heard that line until this time around <laughs> and I thought it was the cutest thing in the world. It, it's really sweet <laughs> in a way. 
Yeah. This is what I sleep in sometimes. And it looks yeah. just like the kind of, you know, we all have those shirts or undershirts and things that you just go, eh, I'm just going to sleep in this. It yeah. looks just like oh, that kind of thing. that's broken it in and everything. And it's awesome. concert. Concert t-shirts are the best for sleeping in, especially when they're especially when they're broken in. You know, if you have a ten or fifteen year old Depeche Mode t-shirt, right? You yeah. know, that, that's just the most comfortable thing in the world. <laughs> I think that's why. Yeah, it's so it just it's as endearing little aside. You know, that just uh, this is what I sleep sometimes. Oh. <laughs> so like you said, he gives it up. It's not. It's not. This goes to eleven. It's just a comfy little shirt. Well, I think you know they. We talked a little bit about their costuming when on episode sixty nine, and mm-hmm. I, I really think they gave a lot of thought to the things they wear. Uh, particularly Christopher Guest, some of the t-shirts he wears reveal a lot. I mean, I know there's an, a scene earlier in the movie where he's wearing a Norm's Rare Guitar t-shirt, mm-hmm. which right, yeah. and then it lists in the credits that Norm's Rare Guitar actually supplied all those guitars you see in the background. Uh, Norm's Rare Guitars is not far from where I live at all. It's it's a couple miles away in Tarzana, up in the San Fernando Valley. I've actually been there. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. In fact, the guy who introduced me to Spinal Tap, I for his birthday a couple years ago, I bought him a, a Norm's Guitars t-shirt because I just thought... <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Not a guitar, just the, the t-shirt. Just the, yeah, he was just getting the t-shirt. Not that good of a friend. He's a t-shirt. <laughs> well, he could sleep in it. That was what I was thinking. <laughs> But it's a cool little shop, and it's it's an amazing little place. It's amazing that 30 years later, it's still around. Um, but I guess I, Christopher Guest must be a guitar aficionado because he, he knows so much about guitars, and he brings that arcane knowledge into his character. I mean, not just in the movie, but I remember when Break Like the Wind came out in 1992, they were featured in an issue of Guitar World magazine, and mm-hmm. he, he was in, he was explaining you know, why his guitars are so special and why they get such a special sound. And I remember in the, in the interview, he was explaining that the, um, the screws that held his pickup to the body of the guitar, most screws are flathead screws made of titanium, but he specifically used Phillips head screws made of magnesium. And that was what, that was the, the key difference that gave his guitars the, the special sound that no one else could replicate. <laughs> so this is him as Nigel doing this, going through his... Ex- right. It was, an, it, was, <laughs> nice. it was an in-character interview in Guitar World magazine. And God bless the editors of Guitar World because... They didn't at yeah. any point in this extensive uh, profile on the band, you know, tip their hat that any of it was a joke, which goes to what we were talking about last time, which is that yeah. it all just became this big cultural in-joke that we all agreed to partake in. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's an excellent point and something we, we talked about previously and then to, to just interject for a moment. So I was I was listening back to our, our previous discussions and so I was wondering that, so I think you're right that this is, uh, you know, really an extensive performance piece that's gone on for decades and that we as an audience participate much of the time in, you know, we pretend to be the fans of these people that are pretending to be a band or, or the pretend band, but we're in on it. We're part of the joke. Right. Compare and contrast that with the instances for those concerts before A Mighty Wind came out, 
when the actors opened for themselves as the folksmen. And it was a time where they had, I believe they had performed on Saturday Night Live and maybe one other place as the folksmen. But at, at that point, and we, we've talked to people who attended those concerts, uh, I think it was 2002 or around 2000, again, before Mighty Wind comes out, where the audience wasn't in on it right away where they didn't necessarily know, they weren't familiar with the folksmen and they didn't know it was these same actors just pretending to be a different band. Right. So how is that different from the instance where it's Spinal Tap, where the audience is in on the joke and part of it and knows it's not a real band? I guess you look at it in a way and it's it, it, it sort of reveals layers of fandom. I mean, it, it, it kind of reveals just how how much you know about the band and whether you were a casual fan or not. So, for instance, when I saw Spinal Tap perform in Carnegie Hall in 2001, it, that the Folksman opened for Tap, and obviously this was two years before Mighty Wind. So, you're right, there were a lot of people that weren't in on the joke. There was, in 1992, a TV special that aired... I think it aired on New Year's Eve, actually. Uh, it was called The Return of Spinal Tap. And they it was like a two-hour concert that they did performing songs from the, the soundtrack album and then Break Like the Wind. And it was done at uh, the Royal Al Albert Hall in London. And the Folksmen... So this is from 1992. And the Folksmen appeared in that as the opening act. Oh, wow. Okay. So... If you were familiar, that's a little, it's kind of an obscure little sequel to the movie because a lot of the actors from the movie, like Fred Willard and Paul Schaefer, appear in the movie. They play the characters from the movie. You know, Rob Reiner appears as Marty DeBerge. So I was really aware of the folksmen through that little TV reunion movie they had done in 1992. So I was in on the joke. Uh, when I saw the Folksman opening for Tap, but I'm sure there were a lot of people that weren't. I'm sure there were a lot of people that were just casual fans of the movie that didn't know that they were being put on. So I guess, again, it, it just goes to layers upon layers of reality and, and the fact that the, the longer this joke went on, the more the line between the the, the fiction of it and then the reality of it started to blur because as the, as the band went on, they kind of did become a real band and they wound up having a history and a longevity that far outpaced the history that's presented in the movie. Because in the movie, they're, they've only been together 15 years, right, uh, right. but yeah. now they've been together for 30 years in reality and then an additional 15 fictionally. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I just wanted to follow up on our last conversation. Also, we were talking about how Harry Shearer was putting out a new album as Derek Smalls. Mm -hmm. And um, I was checking in on Harry Shearer's Twitter today. Yeah, Smalls Change. Yeah, so if you go to at Smalls Change, he is, he is, uh, Derek Smalls is touring with this new project. So oh, wow. <laughs> I retweeted, yeah. yeah, I retweeted that from, you know, our Spinal Tap Minute podcast, but it kind of just, it's a whole different account that he has set up. So again, it's not obvious right away if you're not kind of paying attention, which of course, you know, tap. Tap fans are paying attention, but it's not the only thing that he um he doesn't only tweet or write about just 
Spinal Tap related stuff. So no, he's got a lot going on between yeah. the Simpsons and he does a radio show. I mean, he's just one of those guys that has a lot of tentacles in show business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Derek Smalls says at his at is uh, on Twitter is at Smalls Life. And he has 118 followers. So if anybody wants to follow that and follow along with what he's doing, I mean, I'm assuming it's him because he's retweeting it. Mm-hmm. There are pic- they are pictures of him and it's him on a tour. So if it if it isn't Harry, then I've, you know, I've been duped and that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> but it appears to be since he's retweet since Harry Shearer's retweeting it and the pictures appear to be him. So. So if you want to keep um, keep up to date on that, then go ahead and follow him him there, and then we'll see how Derek keeps this dream alive. <laughs> well, and there you go. I mean, it now now you've got Spinal Tap entering the digital age. I mean, you've got Derek Smalls on Twitter now, <laughs> yeah. which is crazy to think that you know in the movie where those characters are really only in their late 30s and they're sort right. of grappling with irrelevance and grappling with the fact that they've gotten older and they maybe don't appeal to a, a young audience, uh, you know, that that sort of thrives on rock and roll. And here they are 30, 35 years later and the, <laughs> the joke is still going strong and now it's moved into social media. Yeah. Good stuff. So, well, we've got a few other little scenes here that happen in this minute. This is a beefy (laughs) minute. And I I thought of you, Sean Carlin, and put out the call to you and you rejoined us. I'm so glad because I thought it'd be fun to kind of pop through these little scenes with you at you and the other Sean, the the two Sean's. My two Sean's. <laughs> two, two Sean's, one Heidi. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like the makings of a sitcom. <laughs> and a pizza place. Right? And a pizza place, right. <laughs> yeah, so we get in this Marty back to this little snippet of Marty talking with Ian. With Ian. About Sir Dennis Eaton Hogg. Yeah, the recently knighted. <laughs> it's so beyond absurd. I mean, I, I I don't know how I don't know where they came up with some of these lines, you know, the summer camp for pale young boys. I don't know <laughs> I don't know how they delivered it with such a straight face. I mean, you I, I, I even wonder, you know, as a fan, like, was Rob Reiner aware that Tony Hendrick was gonna say that? Did they do a few <laughs> takes where Tony Hendrick just tried different things? That's what's so funny about it. And when the delivery, it's so straight. Oh. There's there's an ambiguity there. <laughs> like so, is he? I'm not. I'm. I am not sure if is he like poking fun at the boys. Like there's a summer camp, and oh, they're just you know they're pale and they're young. Or is this like is that the official motto? Like is that on the letterhead of Hogwood, the <laughs> right. summer camp for pale young boys? Like is he just <laughs> reading it right from the brochure? <laughs> well, I think that's part, again, that's part of the reason why the movie, certainly in the first couple of years it was out before people got in on the joke and realized it was all a comedy. I think part of the reason it fooled people into thinking, well, maybe it is about a documentary about a band I've never heard of because they never winked at the camera. And in a way, playing these clips mm-hmm. over the end credits was so brilliant. And it wasn't done a lot back in those days because you're not really reading the credits. You're watching the clips. So once again, you might be missing the fact that 
Right. You know, actors' names appear next to the characters they play. You're you're just still absorbed in the quote-unquote documentary of it all. And you just assume that the the names that are scrolling by are are just names and not really worth paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah. And that way they eschew a lot of the usual comedic tools in terms of timing and presentation, which Mm -hmm. just shows you... the importance of, of of knowing which rules to break and when to break them because mm. they don't they don't present it as a comedy because if you're living your life even if it's funny to the outsiders you're not going to do things in a comedic fashion so yeah just the, the delivery of these lines yeah are- they're not bloopers either they're not i mean it's <laughs> you know what i mean like a lot of times now at the end you'd be looking at yeah, it's not like the end of Cannonball Run where it's, you know, they're laughing and ruining the tank. and that. Other than the one time the camera nods to Derek. Yeah. It's, yeah, they're not that kind of outtakes. It just it just continues the, yeah, the illusion. Yeah. I don't know how they chose. I mean, because they had two minutes to sort of slug in some little clips. I mean, I've seen, there's a ton of deleted footage. I think there's like two hours of, of deleted scenes on the... Criterion Laserdisc, and then there's an, an additional two hours on the DVD release, and well, none that, of it overlaps, and it's yeah. like like 80% of it is gold, <laughs> and you wonder, like, how did they, how did they weed out, you know, so much good stuff to arrive at what they arrived at? Yeah, yeah. they did a good job. That's, that's the magic. That's the magic. So, <laughs> yeah, then... <laughs> Just, just the, the one last thing on this bit of, of Ian before we move on yeah. to uh, to the interview with David. So is Hogwood, is that the basis of Hogwarts? <laughs> well, I, I did. think it is. I, I don't think the similarities are coincidence. When I was on um, way, 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 way back, <laughs> cast your mind back yeah. to when I was a guest on Harry Potter Minute, I came on there armed with the knowledge that there was a connection between Harry Potter the movies and uh, and the and the stories and such and spinal tap so JK Rowling Rowling pardon me she said that i don't know how familiar you guys are with these stories but the, there's always the um teacher that's teaching the what is it the dark arts the right. defense of dark arts. The defense of dark arts, and they're always either dying or being replaced, or <laughs> right. You know, they, they seem to a, that class seemed to have a different teacher every book. Every every book. Yeah. She said in an interview that that was directly inspired by the drummers of Spinal Tap. Oh, get out! <laughs> so it is possible that, is awesome. that Hogwarts is inspired by Hogwarts. Well, I remember uh, an an interview with. I can't remember if it was Harry Shearer or Michael McKean, and I can't remember where, where I heard it, but they were talking about the fact that they thought for sure the movie be, would be completely rejected in England and just by English people or British people in general because they, they thought, you know, again, there there wasn't any effort made to regionally kind of focus their accents. It was just a bunch of American comedians doing a general British accent, and they thought right. for sure – you know, the the facade of it would be seen right through in Britain, but they said, no, I mean, in fact, Britain seemed to embrace the movie just as much 
as we did stateside. So it, I guess it's not it's not out of the question that uh, J.K. Rowling would have seen the movie as a fairly yeah, yeah. young woman and been influenced by it. Totally. Yeah. yeah, and we've had a few a few Brits on now over the course of our podcast, and they mostly said, you know, pretty good job. Not not yeah. you know, like they did a pretty not too bad, not too shabby on their accents. They come and go a little bit, but you know, all in all, they've heard a lot worse. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they they did they did good. So that was interesting. Yeah, that they uh, makes sense that this is old enough that be a a next generation or even two at this point of writers and performers who would have been influenced. Um, yeah, and, it, and influenced in ways that you wouldn't expect. I mean, of course we expect, you know, we know that Ricky Gervais was influenced by Spinal Tap and and you can look at a, a TV show like The Office and, and trace a direct line back to Spinal Tap with respect to its mockumentary presentation and characters that don't necessarily see themselves as funny. They actually take themselves quite seriously. But it just goes to show that storytelling, the narrative arts is a continuum. And everything is sort of built on something that came before it. And even writers who trade in fantasy and and young adult fantasy at that, the way J.K. Rowling does, there might be influences from Spinal Tap that seep into that that you're not aware of. She may be aware of them or she may not be aware of them. But again, that's the way the culture operates. Everything winds up influencing everything else. That's that's kind of, I think, how new permutations and things are always able to be born. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Cool. So, yeah, I like that. Hogwarts, Hogwood, Hogwarts. Shout out to uh, Harry Potter Minute. They're on hiatus right now, and they're actually doing something crazy for people who are usually when you're on hiatus from something, especially something as ongoing as a Harry Potter podcast where they're going to go through every single movie. They've gone through the first movie, and while they're on hiatus, to take a break, they're doing an Another movie. <laughs> what movie are they doing, Sean? They're doing, they're doing a Ferris Bueller's Day Ferris Off. Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. No Just as, as a break from <laughs> Harry Potter. So from years of Harry Potter. So yeah. So good luck to to that. I I think that just started. Like they're just a week or two in. So yeah. Any uh, any Ferris Bueller's Day Off fans in our audience, you can you can check that out. Yeah. Well, I don't know the website me. or anything, but. I mean, Ferris Bueller, to me, is I, I probably alongside Spinal Tap. It's just one of the most quotable movies ever. So mm-hmm. I think there would be a lot to talk about on a podcast dedicated to Ferris. Yeah, sure. I'm sure. I'm sure that and knowing them, uh, knowing Gary Roby, I'm sure he's gone deep because that's the <laughs> kind of guy he is. So, yeah. So the next the next little section here is uh, a conversation between... David and Marty. And Marty. And, and what yeah, what are they talking about? <laughs> well they're they're talking about David's name and oh, particularly right. the Saint the Hubbins. Hubbins, not the David part, but uh Saint Hubbins. And and Marty seems legitimately surprised that there is actually a Saint Hubbins, at least according to David. Now I did a little bit of research. Okay. And I do not think there is an actual Saint Hubbins. <laughs> You think he was putting us on? I think that might have been, yeah, some, yeah, a fiction for the sake of of the movie. 
<laughs> you uh, think? I, I could actually see, though, I could see a scenario where David believed it. You know, it might have been one of those names that it's somewhere in the lineage of his family history kind of got bastardized. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, and then a story got either made up or passed down. And, you know, next thing you know, it, it got woven into the family history and people just believed it, whether it was right. true or not. I mean, I know there's always been a debate in my family as to whether we're related to George Carlin, the comedian or not. It's never conclusively been resolved, which leads me to believe we aren't. Uh, but, you know, my father told some tall tale as he was known to do throughout his life. You know, he was a bit of a storyteller and he's long since passed away. So nobody really knows <laughs> if any of it was true or not. So sometimes at parties, the stories come out as though we were actually related to him. So I could see David believing. And I'm not, I don't, I, you know, the, the, the thing about the Spinal Tap guys is they seem genuinely, they seem to be genuinely sweet guys. I mean, you were talking mm-hmm. about Nigel saying before, oh, I sleep in this t-shirt. I mean, they, there is a childlike innocence about them. And as we know from the next scene, David believes virtually everything that's told to him. So <laughs> yeah. I, I could certainly see it. Yeah, it sounds to me this, the, the kind of thing that, you would tell to a child or something right. you hear as a child and then you grow up and you still believe it. Whereas if, if someone told it to you as an adult, you might, you know, you might be skeptical. You may not believe it right away, but since you already believe it, you just keep the belief you already have not thinking, well, I was a gullible child. So sure. If he was a young kid, a parent or other relative to kind of make him feel better, like, Oh, we're named after the, the saint of quality footwear. And then he just continued to believe it. Uh, yeah, it becomes um, lore and, and, and just believable. Yeah, it's just like within your book. It's kind of like when you're older and realize, oh, when I was young, my parents said that they that they dropped off my dog at a, at a farm <laughs> yes. living there. And I just always imagine, you know, then kind of yeah. coming to that realization that well, maybe that's not what happened. It's established, I think, in this movie, and certainly it's it's discussed in the the Return of Spinal Tap that David and Nigel both grew up relatively poor. You know, the, mm-hmm. these were not children of privilege. So I could see, you know, if you're if you're a relatively poor kid growing up in working class London and you don't feel particularly special, I could see a parent sort of mythologizing the family name and here you are six seven eight years old and you're as you said you 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 just you believe it at a stage in your life where you're very receptive to those kind of tall tales and then you believed it your whole life so there's no reason to have ever doubted it was true right and and it's in, in, in case anyone kind of pokes fun at david for being you know for believing in a patron saint of quality footwear there are some odd saints and just as an example, so the the closest I could find to a St. Hubbins, there's a St. Hubert who died in 727 and was a disciple of St. Lambert. Uh, but this particular St. Hubert is the patron of hunters, mathematicians, opticians, and metal workers. <laughs> so to yeah. say that there's a patron saint of quality footwear, I don't think is any more ridiculous or unbelievable than, you know, the patron of that combination of hunters, mathematicians, opticians, 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 Mm -hmm. and metal workers. So, and that's like an actual saint. So why not quality footwear? 
Yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, cool. So, well, beyond the quality footwear, when we just start to get into a little bit of this conversation with, we're back at H Salt. H Salt, right. Fish and Chips, and David and Nige are getting questioned about their <laughs> audience that's predominantly white. Right, white. And wondering, are they, <laughs> are they racist? Mm-hmm. Well, this is a great scene because... Um, you know, most of the clips in the end credits are just, you know, one shot talking heads. This is a two shot mm-hmm. with David and Nigel. And it really demonstrates not that you needed proof because it's all throughout the prior 80 minutes, but it really demonstrates not only what great comedians, improvisational comedians, both Chris Guest and Michael McKeon are, but how brilliantly they bounce off each other. They listen to each other. And each one manages to kind of make the thing funnier. You know, mm-hmm. they, right. they, they just keep it's almost like a game of, of really subtle comedic one upsmanship where each one is just trying yeah. to be funnier than the other. <laughs> and it works. It works because even though there's a competitive spirit there, it, it's for the the communal good of the movie. And right. I mean, it, it's so funny listening to them defend uh <laughs> Yeah. In, in, in the most, you know, illogical and you know, <laughs> rambling way, just defend how not racist their music is, even though they have no overt agenda to make it not racist. I mean, you're dealing in like double negatives. Yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> well, I'm a little surprised that uh, that Nigel doesn't ask what's wrong with being racy. Right. right. <laughs> Race. Well, Yes. That would have been a good yes. throwback. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's it, it's funny, too, because Spinal Tap was always a band without an identity, really. They were always just kind of glomming on to whatever the trend was. So if the trend was flower power, that was what they did. And and later, if if, if it was sort of like progressive rock, they jumped on that and they jumped on glam rock. They were always just jumping on whatever the trend was because they didn't really have a voice of their own. And, and what's funny is... As music, as certainly rap and hip hop was evolving and finally addressing the emotional needs of an African-American audience that didn't really have a music that was that spoke to their experiences. Because let's face it, rock and roll, you know, certainly 70s and 80s rock, like Rush and The Who and Van Halen, that, right. that spoke to a different experience. And sure. what's interesting is in The Return of Spinal Tap, in 1992, because at that point, the rap and hip hop culture had kind of taken root. They wound up performing a funk version of Sex Farm uh, on that. <laughs> if, if, if you can find that, I don't even know if it's available on DVD or Blu-ray, but if you can find it, it's just, well, actually, and they recorded the funk version of Sex Farm for um, Back from the Dead, their, their 2009 album. So it's just once again kind of proves that <laughs> they, they were always sort of looking at whatever the trends of the day were and just kind of glomming onto them rather than asking themselves, who, who are we as artists? And right. w- w- can't we just be true to that? Yeah. Cool. Well, it looks like we've gone through pretty much every little bit of this minute as far as the behind the scenes or behind the the scrolling credits goes. And this last little bit here with the racism will go on into the next minute. and We can talk about any more of that, that that we feel like it. Is there anything else about this minute that anybody wants to talk about before we wrap up this episode? 
Well, I thought there were a couple interesting things just in terms of the, the credits themselves and the names as, mm-hmm. as they're flying by. And, and just a couple things. Well, one, just want to point out some of the the less well-known names that maybe some folks aren't, aren't recognizing. Uh, I think the first one is Paul Benedict, who is Smitty, our, our Memphis hotel clerk, mm-hmm. um, who the older folks may know from uh, Electric Company and was also the, the neighbor in the Jeffersons. He was like, you know, the apartment next door, or whatever. Yeah. He, yep. The, the kind of pompous guy that couldn't stand George. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so that's Paul Benedict. And then uh, underneath him is Zane Busby. And Zane Busby is our Rolling Stone reporter. So okay. she's she's the one that she's asking in the in the opening party. She's saying that they look good for for their age, for almost being forty. And at the end, she's she's kind of needling David if you know see if he's going to milk it for for another couple of years in Europe. She doesn't have much on her resume in terms of acting. She's more experienced as a director, and she did a lot of television. She did a, a bunch of Blossom and also uh, Charles in Charge. That she directed a lot of those episodes, so oh, wow. she was more of a director than uh, than an actress. But yeah, we get to see her a couple scenes here. I think we all know Patrick McNee as Sir Dennis sure. Eaton Hogg from uh, he was John Steed in the Avengers, uh, also in a View to the to, View to a Kill. Yeah, and uh, I didn't recall this till I, I was you know kind of looking up the doing some research, and I got reminded he was in Battlestar Galactica. The uh, the original series way back when, not the uh, okay. not the recent remake. Wow! Yeah, he was the the voiceover in the opening credits, and then was also the imperious leader. So Patrick McNee, everyone. All yeah, right. he he had a distinguished career, but not nothing quite as distinguished as playing the founder of Hogwood. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think any of those other roles got him knighted. So certainly, yeah. yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for yeah filling in some of the gaps there, Sean. Yeah, the the one other actress I'll mention is uh, Angelica Houston. The mention's not for anything that that she did, but for the fact that her name is misspelled here. Oh, it's, it's okay. with a G, whereas she spells it with a J, and it will actually show up later. Correct. So they kind of have the you know starring and also starring here, and then later on we'll get a list of. Uh, of of actors with their parts, and in that second listing, they get it correct. But there's a uh, yeah, so there's a typo here, and there's actually another one. There's at least one other typo that I caught in terms of uh, people's names, but I think I think that other one's coming up tomorrow. Okay. Um, and then a couple, just a couple other names I want to mention. Uh, one thing is there seems to be a lot of crossover between this movie. And Hot Moves. And Hot Moves was uh, it's from 1985. Is a, I guess what they call like a teen sex comedy. It's okay. about four friends in high school. And they're all trying to lose their virginity. But just kind of going through and, and researching kind of some of the people in the crew that, that Hot Moves kept coming up. So we've got the uh, Donald Newman, the first assistant director. We've got Ben Batsdorf. The best boy, as well as uh, Victor Abin, the electrician, uh, all worked on hot moves. 
I thought there was one there. Interesting. I I had never. I mean, I consider myself a bit of an aficionado on uh, you know obscure '80s movies. God knows, you know, I grew up watching all those, especially those those teen sex movies of the '80s. But I yeah. don't remember that one. But it certainly stands to reason that that you would have had some some crossover in the crew in the sense that I'm sure Hot Moves, much like Spinal Tap, was a was a fairly low budget, if mm-hmm. not you know, relatively independent production. So, you know, those kind of crews tended to, you know, they tend to work on the same types of budgeted films and then follow each other around. So stands to reason. Yeah, I guess if you have a certain price point in terms of your your services you get into. Yeah, and just looking at the IMDb entry, other than the crew that I recognize from Spinal Tap, the director... The writers, the stars, I recognize none of these names. There's there's no names in terms of the, the actors in this movie. So probably probably a budget to match. Right. And then just so t- two other names I'll mention. One is our makeup, our hair and makeup supervisor, Michelle Payne. And I'll bring her up just because of the crossover for some of our fellow movie by minutes podcasts. So Michelle worked on Pirates of the Caribbean. The Curse of the Black Pearl. Uh, she was also on Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And then uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Assuming wow. that the, the the Star Trek guys continue uh, working through all those movies into the, the more recent reboots. So, uh, yeah, she's she's worked on a couple others. Um, well, a couple really other movies that are getting, yeah, yeah. getting this minute by minute this. attention. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sounds like she went. On, she sounds like she went on to a fairly prominent career too. Yeah, and I, 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 yeah. Just, you know, those aren't just the only movies she's done. I'm just kind of picking the highlights out. But uh, yeah, she's she's worked pretty consistently throughout the years. And then the the last name from this minute that I'll mention is uh, Burnt Amadeus Capra, and I'll mention him for one particular movie, and that is Mind Walk. And Mindwalk is from uh, 1990, and it's actually a movie he wrote. Uh, he wrote the book or the story it's based on, and he directed. And it's kind of like it's a uh, it's similar to My Dinner with Andre, where you don't see the action; it's the characters talking about the action, and it's actually th- uh, three characters who are just sort of meandering around the shores of this island and having a conversation. And that's pretty much, uh, I haven't seen it for a while, but if I recall correctly, that's pretty much the entire movie is just their, you know, their conversations and all the action happens in, in, in imagination. It, it's an interesting movie. I don't know if I'd say it's good, but it's, uh, it's interesting. And I thought that was an interesting connection to, uh, to our credits here in Spinal Tap. And who is this person in Spinal Tap? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> good question. He's uh, the assistant production designer. Okay. And that's most of most of his uh, credits at IMDb are in production design. And this is actually his only directing credit that is Mind Walk. So where gotcha. he directed his his own story. But uh, yeah, most of his uh, most of his background is in production design, and and that's what he was doing here for uh, for the tap. Cool. Well, guys, we've got a whole nother juicy minute together for yeah. tomorrow. If uh, if the two Shans will indulge indulge the Heidi, then we will all be <laughs> here again for for um, episode eighty one. Will you guys still 
hold out with me. De- definitely. I mean, we're this close to the end, right? Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, might as well finish it up now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've come this far. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, sure. thanks everybody for joining us for episode 80 of Spinal Tap Minute. You can find us at SpinalTapMinute.com. And um, yeah, what else? Where else can people find us, Sean? Well, I want to remind the folks that uh, they'll be able to find Heidi in Chicago on Saturday, August 26th at the Movies by Minute Chicago event happening. Yeah. Uh, and you can go to moviesbyminutes.com slash Chicago for more information and how to get tickets and the uh, the exact address and times and all that stuff. So uh, that's that's one place in the real world that you can see Heidi. And you can see all of us on Facebook at the Spinal Tap Minute Groupies Lounge, where we hang out with uh, you folks and we talk about all things tap. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the final thing I got is I just want to remind everyone that the semester is coming to a close. It is final exam time. If you haven't already, go to SpinalTap.com slash articles slash trivia dot HTML and take the Spinal Tap quiz. And then uh, let us know. Shoot us a tweet or a post on the Facebook. Let us know how, uh, how you did. Great. And then, Sean Carlin, where can we find you on the old internets? You can find me on my blog, which is at seanpcarlin.com, or uh, get me on Twitter, at seanpcarlin. Sweet. Well, thanks for joining us again, and we look forward to talking with you tomorrow. And I think that about wraps up today's episode. All right. So until next time, and so say all of us... Tap, tap, tap into, into America. America.